0: Gene, come up here and just take it. Come on, let's give this man an incredible round of applause. Awesome guy. Just be at home and just bless us today. Good morning. morning. How are you this morning? It is a privilege and an honor to be here with you this morning. As Pastor had mentioned, we are your missionaries to Peru. And it's a wonderful privilege to be in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for this wonderful privilege and opportunity that we have to gather together in your name and to be in your presence. Today, Father God, I just pray that you'll continue to be glorified, Lord, through our worship. And I pray that during this time, Lord, that you'll enable me by the power of your spirit to speak your words, Lord, that you might be glorified and that each one of us, as we leave today, will be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, Father, I just pray that you would give us, give us your spirit to open up our eyes, our ears, and our hearts. That we see, hear, and understand all that your spirit would have for us this morning. Lord, we thank you for the life that we have in Jesus Christ. And it is in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I just want to first and foremost introduce my wife to you again. We were here a couple of years ago. But I want to ask that my wife would stand up. And uh, her name is Kim. We've been married. That would be 13 years in January. So and she has a, has a heavy cross to bear. She's married to me. so, and uh, yeah, She's a good woman. She really is. Uh, we have four children. The youngest is on my mother's lap, Ella. The other three are in children's church right now, Lily, Caroline, and Levi. And uh, they're 11, soon to be 10, 7, and then 3. And, uh, and so forth. pastor called me, and he said, Pastor Gene, he goes, I want you to share about Peru, but I also want you to preach the word. And I've got so much to say this morning, so I was wondering how in the world I can do it. And so I began to think about, well, what we can do is um, I can share about one half of the ministry stuff, and we'll take a 30-minute lunch break, and we'll share the rest, all right? So if you don't mind that, and I'm, I'm teasing on that part. So. But in our Bibles, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I got a message in my heart I want to share this morning that will be tied into Peru. We got in about a month ago. Uh, we, at the beginning of last month, we always spend a couple of weeks with my mother-in-law and father-in-law in South Florida. But we got into Baton Rouge on the 16th uh, of last month, and we're going to be here for quite some time. Uh, God has blessed us each Sunday until the middle of December is, uh, is filled up. We'll be visiting different churches, even churches that we don't know, uh, to go and share with them about the burden that God had put on our heart pertaining to Peru. And uh, so just please could keep us in prayer pertaining to that. Now I've got a question: How many families in the world are there today? A whole, a whole lot. <laughs> yes and no. Two. We have two families. And I want to look at that this morning. We have two families. Yes, we have a whole lot of families because we have 6. what8 billion people in the world today. And so we have all of these different families. But in reality, there's just two families in the world today. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that. And let's go to verse 45. And, it is, and so it is written, the first man, Adam... Now look at this. It's very important for us to see and understand this. ...was made a quickening soul. 1 Corinthians 15:45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul... The, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Look at the difference. One was made as a life, or rather a living soul, and the other one a quickening spirit. Look at the difference. The first Adam, the soul; the second Adam, the spirit. Howbeit, that was not that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. Now look at this. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second, man is of, the second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. So we have two types of people in the world today. We have those who are of Adam, and we have those who are of Christ. Those who are of Adam and those who are of Christ. We know that Jesus, in John chapter 3... He's talking to Nicodemus and and he's telling Nicodemus that a man must be born again. Now Nicodemus was wondering, how in the world can I, a grown man, go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus just scratched his head and shook his head and just said, you just don't get it, do you? Yet you're a teacher. He said, no, you must be born of the water first and then of spirit. Meaning that you have to be born in Adam first and then you have to be born of the spirit in order to be brought into the family of God. Every man, there's one of the largest religions in the world, says that we're all the children of God. That's not true. We're not all the children of God. We're the children of Adam. What needs to take place is an adoption from the family of Adam into the family of God. That's what Paul tells the that tells the church in Ephesus in chapter one, verse five says that we are predestined to be adopted as sons. Now, my father, not my father-in-law, but rather my brother-in-law, my sister-in-law. For 14 years, tried to have children, never could. Never could have children, spent a lot of money trying to have children, but never were successful. And last March, a year ago March, uh, uh, they adopted this little boy. And whenever they adopted this little boy who was born to other parents, okay, whenever they signed that paperwork over, they relinquished their rights to that little boy. And when my brother-in-law and sister-in-law signed the paperwork, they accepted him as their own son. Now, by law, he is considered a legal heir to, the, to all of the inheritance that they have. There's nothing they can do to exclude him from any inheritance that he has. And it's the same thing in the body of Christ, or rather with the body of Christ. We are born in Adam. We are born with that sin nature. We are at war with God. We are enemies of God. But God, showing His love and His mercy towards us, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, that He may die upon the cross, bearing our shame, holding our sins upon His shoulders, so that He might forgive, that through Him, God would forgive us of our sins, and through His resurrection, give us eternal life to be with Him for all of eternity. But we're born to that other family. But God come down, and He's, through Jesus Christ, He adopts us into His new family, into His family. And the earth first family is of the earth. All he can do is think of himself. All he can do is do things that pertain to himself. But the second family, the kingdom of God, is heavenly. In fact, Jesus says in John 18, 36, when he's talking to Pilate, and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. So we've been adopted, and we have every right. We have every right to the inheritance that God has, because we are considered, even as the word of God says, co-heirs with Christ. That's the inheritance that we have. I love very much Psalm chapter 2 verse 8. It says, ask of me and I shall give you the nations as your inheritance. That's what missions is all about. It's not going and planting a flag up on on the hilltop saying this part's for Jesus. No, the inheritance that we have is for God to provide souls in our our paths each and every day that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that other souls would be adopted into the family of God. That is the purpose of what we are. Now I want to look over here. I want to to switch gears just a little bit. And let's go over to Romans chapter 14, verse 17. And this is the crux of my message today. I just wanted to establish the fact that we have two families in the world. We have the family of Adam, all who are born naturally into this world. And we have those who are of Christ who have been born again through faith and repentance. Then we get to... Chapter 14 of Romans in verse 17. And Look what it says. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Let's think about that for a moment. Let's think about what is the kingdom of God. First of all, I just shared with you what John chapter 18, 36 says that my kingdom is not of this world. Paul here is reestablishing it. He is saying that the kingdom of God is not of this world. Physically, we have to eat and drink. We have to take care of the cares of this present world. But the kingdom of God is not of this present world. It has nothing to do with here. Paul is trying to get the Romans to understand. If you follow through the book of Romans, Paul preached the grace of God in such a way that the Romans thought, well, how great is the grace of God that the more I sin, the more He forgives me, the more He is glorified through that. And Paul goes on and says, no, we're dead to sin. That's where we glorify God is that He said it's free from that sin nature because why? The kingdom of heaven is not meat or drink. It's not of this world. But look what He does say. But it is... Of righteousness. Righteousness. If you look at that word righteousness, in truth, more times than not, it's synonymous with justification. And if you look at the word justification in the Greek, it simply means to be made innocent. To be made innocent. Paul tells us also further up in chapter 8 that that Adam, those who are governed by the flesh, are at war with God. They're enemies of God. Everyone that is governed by their own flesh, who lives according to that, really is not a friend of God, but is an enemy of God. And he is saying that the kingdom of God, first and foremost, is that you have to be made innocent. If you're going to be in the kingdom of God, you have to be made innocent, and it can happen no other way but by faith and repentance And, okay, sorry, repentance and putting your faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross for you. And as I mentioned before, we are enemies of God, Adam is. And so therefore, as Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, that we are justified by faith through Christ Jesus, and it's through that that we have peace with God. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. We are at peace with the Creator of the universe. We are not at war with Him any longer. We have come into Him, we have been made innocent. In the blood of Jesus Christ, God looks down upon each and every one of us if we have Christ in our heart today as 100% holy because He is looking through the blood of Christ upon us. I'm not saying I'm not, sanctification has another part. We live in His flesh and must be transformed each and every day more and more into the image of Christ. That's a whole other message. But what I am saying is that we are at peace with God. We have been made righteous in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then it says joy in the Holy Ghost. You look at that word joy, it simply means calm, delight. Think about that, calm, delight. Last year, God blessed us in Peru with some finances to buy us a 4 by 4 truck. Before, we took the bus and walked and, 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 uh, and just did what we had to do. And for the first several months, I was all excited it's not a brand new truck, it's a 1998 model, but it's brand new to us. And boy, those emotions were great. I was like, man, we've got a vehicle now, we can go do this and do that. It didn't bother me every time I pulled up to the gas station and had to pay $4.50 a gallon. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not so happy when I go to the gas station today. That $80, $90 to fill up my truck isn't as fun as it used to be when I first got it. Why? Because the emotion of happiness is coming on. Joy is not happiness. All right? Joy is not happiness. We've got to understand that. I tell the church in Peru, an emotional man can never be spiritual. But a spiritual man will always be emotional. An emotional man is him who uses his emotions to reproduce what God wants to do through us. But the spiritual man is allowing God to work through him and his whole gamut of, his whole emotion is governed by what God's doing through him. That's just another illustration of Adam and Christ. You look at this. Joy in the Holy Ghost. Calm delight. Now, that makes me think of a story going back to Abraham. Abraham, in chapter 12, is called of God to leave Haran and to go into Canaan. And he goes and, 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 he, and also in chapter 15, he goes he has, goes in covenant with God, and right after that, actually before that, in chapter 13 and 14, him and his nephew lot their houses, I mean their 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 uh slaves and their uh, and their workers begin to fight each other because the properties have been being blessed by God and they're growing the, the The area wasn't large enough to hold each each one. And so here's uh, uh, Abraham, and he says, come with me, Lot. Come with me. And he goes up to a top of a mountain, and he tells Lot. Now, this is the man who has the promise. He could have dictated to Lot whatever he wanted to do. He could have told Lot, this is what you're going to do. No ands, ifs, or buts, no questions. You must do this. You don't have the promise. You're not in covenant with God. I have the promise. You came with me, not me with you. But he told Lot, he said, Lot, you choose what side you want. And then I'll go the opposite way. Now here we see the difference as well between the two. Lot is looking at himself and he's looking out and he sees the land that's all green. He sees the river flowing through and he's thinking, well, my, my, my lambs, my camels, my cattle are going to be able to get good and fat over here. I'll be able to prosper. I'm going to go over here, Uncle Abraham. And Abraham goes, that's fine, you just go on over here. Now, we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that before God destroyed them, that kings came and, and took their kings in battle. And Abraham had to go and to deliver light light from the moment he made the decision, had nothing but problems. Had nothing but problems all the way to the very last moment whenever he lost his wife and there was incest committed in his family. But Abraham took this other way over here. The barren, the rocky, the dry area that looked as though nothing can grow. Why was that? He could have chose the green area. He could have chose because he's the one that had the inheritance. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us in verse 10 that he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. He was not concentrating on this world. Adam, Lot was focusing on this world. But he was looking on the world to come because the kingdom of God is not of this world. And that's why whenever the pressures would come in, he had the joy, the calm delight, knowing that my God is with me until the ends of this age and that I'm going to go and be with him for eternity. The things of this world have no control over me. That's what it's all about right there. That's what the kingdom of God is about Knowing that it's eternal. Knowing that this world, the pressures, the situations, the difficulties are not a permanent thing. But they're going to fade away. But the kingdom of heaven is for all of eternity. All of eternity. And that's what it's all about. But in the church today, we have both of these operating. We have Adam and we have Christ. I'm not talking about in the world. I'm talking about in the church. I don't, I don't know what's customary. Pastor, I hope I'm not a... F- in the church today, we have people that are so full of looking inward, looking at themselves rather than allowing God to move in them. They're so wanting God to give them, to give. they want to use God to get from Him. Because they're of Adam. They're governed by themselves. Adam can only look at me. Me, what can you do for me? I feel this way. I want this. You did this to me. But the kingdom of God is looking outwardly. What are the two greatest commandments of them all? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For why? For all of the law and the prophets depend upon it. Look at it. It's looking outwardly. Adam is busy looking inwardly, but the kingdom of God is busy looking outwardly. And in the church today, we have people coming to church looking to get from God rather than coming to give to God. And I'm not talking about finances. The finances are the last thing. God doesn't need money. He's the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. But He's wanting for us to give Him ourselves as living sacrifices. He's given the ultimate sacrifice for us. Why is it we can't give Him ourselves? But we want Him to come and give this. God, I'll give my offering. I'll give my tithes if you're going to help me to do this. I've got a bill I've got to pay. I've got, I want to buy a new house. I want a new car. I want a bigger house. Ha- uh, I want this. I want that. I want to get married, God. I'll come to church. I'll give you everything that you want. Just help me to get married. You know, I want this and that. But that's the whole problem. That's looking inwardly. He wasn't looking inwardly whenever he sent his son Jesus Christ. He was looking fact, he was looking back at before the foundations of the earth, wherever he had already determined that his son was going to be crucified. That's found in Revelation 13:12, actually 13:8, where it says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the earth. It's time for us as the church to stop wondering. And I'm going to use a quote. That I'm, going to use, I'm going to quote an old president. To please understand, this president is one of the worst we've ever had as far as womanizing a drunk and, uh, and so forth. But talking about JFK, whenever he said, well, on the campaign trail, when he said, Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It's time that we develop the same mentality. Not ask God what he can do for us, but ask him what we can do for him. It's time that we do that, because the time is short. The time is short. We're living in the last ages. The Word of God says that the prophets, as they were writing, long to live in the day that we live in, long to live in the day we live in, but we're too busy worrying about what we can, what we can earn. Going, don't get me wrong, we must work, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, I, trust me, there's nothing wrong with that. We could not be in Peru if we didn't have jobs, if you didn't have jobs and tithe faithfully and giving support to other missionaries and us in the world. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm talking about, the focus of everything should not be inwardly, but it should be outwardly. That's what we should have in this life. It's, and that's where the joy comes from. Every time, I'm going to tell you right now, there's not a single sin mentioned in the Bible when we think of God. When we put God first, there's not a single sin mentioned in the Word of God. When we think of our neighbor and put our neighbor first, there's not a single sin mentioned in the Word. There's only sin mentioned when we think of ourselves first. That's Galatians chapter 5. Why do you think we have adultery? My wife ain't as skinny as she used to be. My husband doesn't have all the hair he used to be. He doesn't tell me he loves me, this or that. And so all of these things, it's because we begin to look at me, me, me. And so we go to look for a substitute that fill that quote-unquote desire on the inside. What do you think there's bitterness and jealousy? It's because we're looking inwardly. What about me? Instead of looking outwardly, what about them? In Peru, where we are. They don't have any understanding of what it means to think of others. It's very far and few between. Even here, that's becoming more and more prevalent. But you'd be standing in a, in a little bodega, which is a little convenience store, if you will, out of somebody's house, and you can stand in line and, and, and wait to your turn, and people would just come in and butt in front of you, never once thinking about you, respecting the line, you know, and, and getting into your place. Man can only think of himself. And we've allowed that in the church whenever we come to church. Not looking to give God what he desires. That's what happened with Cain anyways. That's what happened to Cain. He knew what to give God. It wasn't a surprise to him when God didn't accept his sacrifice. But he wanted to give God his best what he wanted. And because God didn't accept him, he was mad. Rather than giving God what God wanted. Because he told him that. He said, don't you know if you do what's right? You'll be accepted. But he chose not to do that. What we must do, church, in every day of our life is examine, is this for me or is this for God? I don't want to do it for me. I don't want anything to be be focused upon me. It must be God doing this. I want to be where God. Why do you think Israel moved whenever the cloud moved? When the cloud moved first, then Israel went with the cloud. It's because they had to be where God was. That's time that we don't ask God to come be with us, but it's time for us to seek where God is and go be with Him. That's the mentality that we should develop personally. And personally, if we have that collectively when we come together, we'll have that same mentality and we'll grow together in the maturity that God so desires. That's why we go to Peru. Now I'm going to switch gears over to Peru. I don't go to Peru to save souls. First of all, I can't save souls. It's only the Holy Ghost that can save souls. I don't go to preach the gospel. I go because my God has told me to go. I go to serve God. I don't go. We can have... 10,000 people come to know Christ or we can labor 10 years and have one soul come to know Christ and I'm just as successful either way because I've done what God has called me to do and I stepped out to do it. That's why we go to Peru. It is wonderful. We've been there for six, over six years now. The things that God has done. It's amazing. I would have never imagined the things that God has done. I have some dear friends of mine that come here. And please forgive me for for pointing you out. But John and Denise Delphin, some wonderful friends. Even before I went to Peru, uh, uh, John and I have been friends. And I would call him and I'm always in touch with him. And I would tell him different things about what God's doing and talk with Denise. And Pastor, over over the last couple of years, we would call and talk to each other and I'd tell him the things that God has done. So I want to tell you this morning some wonderful things. This past year has been an incredible year of growth. We went through, a, through, a, through some trials and tribulations where the devil was trying to discourage us, trying to take us off the mission field, trying to do different things. But I'm going to tell you right now, the reason why the devil was trying to do that is because he was looking beyond the horizon of what God was wanting to do down the road, and what God was wanting to do is beginning to take place now. I'm going to tell you, listen, before I was preaching... And nothing, nothing. I want you to understand, this is not talking about me. It's because I was the only one. I was doing the work, okay? I was doing the labor. I had nobody to work, walk with me during this time. We ha- I was sharing, preaching about 612 times on a yearly basis. Two times on Sunday, two times on Monday and Tuesday, once on Wednesday, twice on Thursday, and three times on Friday, Saturday, the only day that I would have off. I was going into the prison Monday, Thursday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, preaching in the church, doing youth, and going up to the mountains to our mountain church up there. And then all of a sudden, God just began to do things. He sent me a young man by the name of Fernando Wachio. He's about as bitty around as my little pinky. He turned sideways, he'd miss him. All right, and, if, and so he's just but wonderful young man. I say young man. He's well, he is a young man. He's my age. And so, anyways, so God just began. And through that, God has grown to where there is now five churches within our fellowship. Five churches. From one to five churches within our fellowship. We have the main church in Pure, We have the prison church in Rio Seco. We have the church up in the mountains in Piscan. We have a church in Paita along the coast. And we just started a new work in Casa Rio de Flores, which is a village about 20 minutes away, that the grandmother brings her grandchildren to church on Sunday mornings. But because of the transportation, she can't come at nighttime. And so we've been praying and asking God to give us the opportunity for us to go to them. And this past April, we went to them and to where it's the grandmother and the grandfather, their children and grandchildren. We meet every Wednesday and just got an email this past week from Luis, our pastor overseeing that, um, that they've started not only Wednesday night, but they're also out there on Friday nights as well. And uh, we've we've got about between about 30 people, more or less, just from this one family in church in a village of about 600 people. And so we and we're the only church presence in this in this in this village. There's no other church presence there, and we've already done outdoor campaigns, door to door, uh, witnessing, passing out tracts. And so, God, believe God is going to raise that little work up to where it's going to be its own standalone church, to where Luis uh, uh, Luis Pena, our our new minister of music and youth pastor, who's going to take over that and going to be the full time pastor. That's just what God's doing. Uh, let me tell you about Peace Gun. Let me tell you about the little mountain church up in the mountains. When I first started going there, we might have had eight, nine people in the church there. It's just run down. It was just abandoned and, and just it, legalistic as it could come. In fact, I, I've had a couple of people leave the church because they want to be legalistic and don't want to live in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. All right? They look at works. So I've got to do this or do that. We can't do nothing to attain merit from God. It is given to us freely through Jesus Christ. Well, anyways, we sent Fernando up there in June to be our missionary pastor. He lives there. Last November, we bought a piece of property with a little house on it. You'll see it in the video. And, and we made it a little living room that's 10 feet wide by 20 feet deep. All right? So, And then Fernando lives in the back two rooms there. Well, anyways, up there... There's a lot of uh, common law marriage, if you will. They're not really married. They're just living together, have a family, three, four children, been together 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years. And so they're accepted as being married, but they never become married. And whenever one of the two get born again, the churches do not allow them to come to church because they're living in fornication, which is true, they are. But how in the world do you tell the mama of four children to take her kids away from their father and go live with mama? Or tell him to go live with mama. And, you know, you just can't do that. But they kick them out because they're living in sin. Well, I'm just the opposite. I say let them come. I say let them come because the doors to their homes are open. And through that, we can go into their homes and reach the men or the women. Depends on who's born, who got born again first. And then we can bring them into the church. And then begin to teach them God's principle pertaining to marriage. In fact, last October, almost one year ago to today, Elio and Magali were together eight, nine years, three children. The one and only wedding ceremony I've ever done in our our ministry, we performed. And Elio and Magali are married right now up in Piscan. We had two young ladies got born again uh, through different, uh, not through our ministry, but they were kicked out and. Then from their church, one of them never went to church, but one of them, her father is a pastor, said, you can't come here. And uh, anyway, so Carmen, we let her and Marina come in. Marina came to me, and she goes, Pastor, can we have church at my house? This was at the end of May this year. And I said, absolutely. And she goes, because my mama doesn't feel good, and uh, let's go, get, you know, if we can go. Now, to get to her house, we have to cross the river. There's no bridge. You have to step across stones or just take off your shoes and wade across the river to get to where, where this other village is. And we go up there. We share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mother says, at the end, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. She repents, puts her faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and three weeks later dies. Talking about God's mercy. Waiting, and, you know, the, uh, Peter talks about the patience of God. You know, God's not slow is what we, he's patient. All right, he's patient, waiting, waiting for that. And then there's Carmen, the one that got kicked out of the church. Her husband, if you want to use that word loosely, you know, he, uh, he was totally against the church, hated the church, told her you can't go. So she had to sneak out or go in, in defiant disobedience to her husband to go to church when she came. Well, this happened about two months ago on a Saturday afternoon. He got stoned drunk and several men came up and beat him and left him for dead on the road, more, like the, more or less like the story of the Good Samaritan. She goes and gets him and brings him home. And as they're there, the church hears about this on so Sunday night because just the way it is, we don't do church on Sunday night. They go and grab the church, fix dinner, and bring it over to Carmen and Marco, which is his name. And Fernando, our pastor there, he goes, he goes is, uh, is Marco awake? Yeah, well, will not you let him come up? Can't do that because whenever he gets up out of bed, he falls down totally disoriented. He needs to stay in bed. He's just, not, he's just not good at all. But Marco in the back is hearing everything, and he says, won't you let them come back here? Now, this is a man the day before who was drunk. Man day before who didn't want anything to do with the church. Now he's inviting the church to come into his bedroom. And Fernando goes back and he begins to share the gospel. And at the end, Marco looks at him and says, I want to know this Jesus Christ who you have. I want to know this Jesus Christ. And so he put his faith in Christ. His mama put her faith in Christ. Carmen rededicated her life. And all in church today. All in church today. Now we have an opportunity to share about what what the word of God says pertaining to marriage. And then let me tell you something else. Fernando about to jump out of his skin and he goes, Pastor, but that's not the end of the story. And he goes, the presence of God was so strong this morning, this, this morning or this night that I just told Marco, Marco, you believe God can heal you? And he goes, yes, I do. And, I, and, and Fernando goes, well, I believe God can heal you too. And he goes, so I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to pray for you. And afterwards, I want you to get up and cross this room seven times. So he gets up, he prays for him, gets up. two or third, The second or third time he wanted to sit down, but he didn't. He kept going. By the time he reached the fourth time, crossed in the rooms, so his hands went up. And he said, God just touched me and healed me. God just touched me and healed me. Fernando went back to uh, Monday morning to go see him. And Carmen goes, oh, he's not here. He was in the bed yesterday morning, but he's not here. He's out in the streets walking up and down the village. Walking up and down the village. Now, we have a family in the church where the woman is born again. They're really married. And But the husband, Adolfo, he won't have nothing to do with God. But this year, God began to touch him. All of a sudden, he started coming to our church services from time to time, coming to our outdoor campaigns from time to time. He went with them on this time. So he got to see this man here in the gospel, putting his faith in Christ and God, touching him and healing him. And Adolfo said, I'm so close. I'm not this far from giving my life to Jesus Christ as well. God is doing great things there in peace, God that the little church that had eight people where we meet in a place that's 10 by 20, we have over 20, about between 20 and 25 people coming to church, and you'll see in the, in, the, in the thing that we're in there like sardines. In there like sardines. In April, we never did anything, you know, here when we would go to church. We don't give an option to our children, you want to go to church or not. You know, it's like you're going, I don't care what you think, you're going with me. All right, well there, it's just an option. And all of a sudden, just overnight, we started having 9, 10, 11 kids just show up in church. To where El, uh, Magali, the one that just got married, and Nancy, the wife of Adolfo, they started a children's ministry to where they do at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoons. So you see what God's doing. Little village, 450 people, but yet God is touching souls. We have other families coming to church now. Before I got there, church had been there for 20 years, and all it was was family. And I'm not talking about me and, you know, take me out of the equation. Unless the Lord build the house, they let labor, labor in vain. But before God got there and started doing things, because I promise you none of this, all those stories, I was not present. So it has nothing to do with me. It has all to do with what God's doing. But God is doing great things. And then in Paita, in the prison, I'll tell you about the prison first just real quick. We started off. Just have to meet outside, just open air, all right? In fact, a few years back, John had a chance to come down. He's been there, he can tell you. Just open, no no roof or nothing. As you can tell, I don't have much protection up there. And so I'd get sunburns on top of my sunburns going out there. My wife would tell me I have to put on sunscreen, lotion, and stuff like that. I'd just go in my hat now. But the thing is, God had begun to do things there in the prison, giving us favor to where now we have a building where we meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays to where we have the building there in the church. I mean, in, in the prison, the church has grown from about 20 men to where we have about 70 men in church. They meet every day. We have organized church in the building two days a week, but they have church every morning in the mornings from 10 to 12 and three times during the night. And Just incredible what they do. Just last year, just last July when we had our church anniversary, we had to do baptisms. And when we did the baptisms, there's no water, you know, there's no big area, so I had to go by a little kiddie pool about that deep. Baptism, some of them were like, Well, I'm not all the way wet, you need to fan the water on top of me because I want to be completely immersed. All right, so but that's what we did. But on the Saturdays and the Sundays, whenever the families can go in, there would be outside preachers that go in and visit as well, the inmates. And there's this one pastor by the name of Jose Leon Campos that, beca- that uh, become friends with our church there in the prison. and he began, they began to tell him what God was doing and, what it, and, and about us and about the ministry and the church. And he got very interested, he goes, "I want to meet this pastor. I want to see what God's doing." And in May, I don't know why I keep saying May, but in December last year, we had our first missions conference there in Peora, and he came to it, and he said, Pastor, we've been praying for a while, and we want to take our church and come and put it underneath your church, and we would like to become affiliated with you if that's all right. And I said, let me go into the Lord and pray about it. So we went and prayed, and we believed it was God. And so we took this little church and piped underneath our wings. And let me tell you something. God is doing great things there in Python. This church, they have church five nights out of, six nights out of the week. And, um, and they have two nights where they're at uh, homes doing home church. And then there's four nights of the week that they meet in the church building. Little church building ain't but about, uh, it's nine meters by eight meters. So if you do your math, it's roughly uh, 24 by 27. Have enough space in there for, 20, I mean, for 45 people. And we have 80 people in church every day. We have men and women lined up and around the building. Standing in room only, knows no room. My wife can give an account to this, that, oh, I'll just stay down here, uh, that, that men giving up their seats so that the women and children can have a place to stay. On, fr- on Friday the 13th in August, this pa- uh, two months ago, the pastor told me I draw house plans from time to time. And uh, anyways, the pastor over there said, we have a man and a, uh, a friend of the church that wants to do something on his second story. Can you come and kind of give him some ideas? So I went out there, and he said, bring your family because they're going to, they'd like to take care of you for lunch, you know, fix lunch for you. And I said, that's fine. We'll be happy to do that and fellowship and get to know more people. So we get there, and I, I didn't know where it was, so the pastor met me at a gas station. And he said, before we go there, let's go over to this family. I want to go visit this family first. So we go over there, this young lady, 24 years old, comes out with her two small children. Her husband comes home from from, uh, work on his lunch break. Pastor Jose sits down, he goes, okay, Pastor Gene, preach. And so, right there in the living room, never met these folks in my life. But I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, and with many tears, the young lady put her faith in Christ. That was Friday, Sunday night was my turn to be in the church, preaching. And her and her husband and her family was in church. Went and helped out with that over that building, that, that second story. And when it come time to leave, I said, okay, it's time for us to go. And the pastor goes, not yet, Pastor Gene. He goes, this man and his son, they wanted to put their faith in Jesus Christ, but they wanted to pray with you. And so we prayed, and both his 13-year-old son and this man with many tears as well, who had already before, we knew he was already born again, because he had already made the decision, right? He had already put his faith in Jesus Christ. He just wanted somebody to pray with. And so we prayed with him that day. And even him and his son, many tears, put there, made a profession of faith. They were in church Sunday night. In May, we had outdoor campaigns there. And as we were there, one man come to know Jesus Christ through two two nights of service. And this one man, he was married, and his wife didn't like it too much that he was going to church, causing problems. And so the pastor said, let's go and visit this family. We get there. The husband couldn't get off from work. Little room, I'm talking about the room about the size of three rows of pews right here. And that's everything, their bed, that, that, that's their whole house, just one room, sand floor. And, uh, and she was there with their little one-year-old boy. Pastor took the boy from the mama, gave it to my wife. And, uh, and we sat there and sat on a five-gallon bucket in, in her one-room house and shared the gospel with her and her with tears, put her faith in Jesus Christ Sunday night. Her and her whole family was in church. That's what God's doing, saving souls and whole families being put in the church. And I we know the church can't do nothing, but it's when we come together, gather together in the name of Jesus Christ, He's here with us. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And then you got pure. I haven't even talked about the home church. God had been growing and blessing all these other areas to where we needed and had the need to have a pastor. And so we put a pastor. I, I, I prayed. I talked to Fernando and I prayed and I said, Fernando, we, you know, we, we need to have a pastor that we can put in charge of the church here. And so after a time of prayer... There's this young, I say young man, this gentleman, he's older than I am. uh, It's gentleman, Ronaldo Guerrero, who's a pastor of this other church, but he wasn't pastoring at this time. I'd heard about that, and I just went to him and I said, Ronaldo, this is my need. I need this and this and this, but this is what I need for you to do. I need you to pray to make sure it's God's will for you. I have the need, but you have to determine if it's God's will for you. About a month later, he came to me and he said, Pastor Gene, I believe it's God's will. He came on board, but before he ever started pastoring, he said, I just want to be a member in the church. Don't, don't introduce me as a pastor of the church, nothing. I just want to be a member of the church so that the church can get used to us. Came on, And whenever he started pastoring, he, he, he received no salary whatsoever. He just came and pastored. He sold pots and pans at a little street kiosk right there by the, by the market. Hardly made any money. He's got, a, he's got a special needs son at home, 26 years old. Never asked me for a single dime. But I'm going to tell you right now, he's faithful and pastor in that little church, our last Sunday in church, and, and, uh, uh, at the end of August, before we traveled in, he stood up on that pulpit with many tears saying, Pastor, you don't worry about a single thing. Everything's in good hands. You don't have to worry about a single thing. It's all well taken care of. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've talked to him this week. He's taken care of everything. Not only, has the, not only have, have we put in, installed a new pastor, but the church has grown to where uh, we have about 50 people in church on Sunday mornings. We have 60 chairs in the building, and we're already, in, in, and so we, we get pretty tight. Children's church, we need a little room that's about 10 by 10, and we got 18 sometimes. Well, actually, more around 16 children. Don't want to use that pastor math. Pastor math is where you add about 20% to everything. All right. But, <laughs> oh, that, oh, the pastor said, no, that's evangelism. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the evangelism math. But uh, by getting back, we're just so squished up in there, and we don't have any means by which to grow. We don't have any means by which to grow, and the church is growing. Just, just last year, we received 2,600 solis and, and tithes. That's it for the whole year. That's an average of a little bit more than 200. That's less than $100 a month. And, uh, and I just told them, I'm kicking you out of the nest. It's either fly or die. You're gonna, I'm, you're not gonna, I'm not going to pay for everything, but it's time for you to take the stand. You're four years old now. And it's time for you to grow up. And you know what? In, in May, we had to put a new floor in the church. We had 1,500 souls. We spent 1,200. Of, uh, and I, didn't put, I just put down just a little bit to just kind of help out, loosen the budget up a little bit. And at the end of June, our sound system went kaput. We had to put in a new sound system. We ended up putting in a 12-channel uh, console mixer with the power incorporated in it and 600 feet of cable and all of the connection points into the uh, platform, about 2,000 solis, I didn't have to put out a single penny. In two months, it went from 200 soles a month to where we're averaging about seven to 800 now. Just like that. I've not done anything. I just was telling them it's time for you to put your trust in God first. You honor God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then all of these other things will be added unto you. So they've begun to do that to where now Ronaldo receives a small salary. They pay part, I pay part. As the church grows, my part goes down to where Ronaldo is totally supported by the church. That's what God is doing. Let me tell you, it, it's real quick, I'm, I'm running low on time, so forgive me. About six months ago, I was coming across eBay and, and, and I, on eBay I come across this FM radio transmitter, and I'm thinking. Why don't we do something radio ministry-wise? You know, I mean, it can't be that bad. And so I went and talked to this pastor. It was, it was uh, you know, 200 bucks. You know, I was thinking, well, if anything, I can reach just my neighbors or something. So I go and I talk to this pastor about these, about these about radios. And by the time he got through, the cost of the investment and getting licensed and everything else was going to run between five and $6,000. And I'm thinking, well, if I've got five or six thousand dollars, I want to invest it into a building. A building is more important to us than a radio ministry because that would mean God has a permanent place that He can call home as far as a building is concerned. I was over in Paita one night, Pastor Jose came up to me and said, Pastor Gene, young man wants to talk to you. So I go, pull him off to the side, yeah, let's talk. And they said, Pastor Gene, my name is John. And I have this radio that is fully licensed. Just last week, I got our license in. Our call letters are 103. I mean, our, our frequency is 103.7. Our call letters are Adonai. And I want to take this radio and I want to put it underneath the church. <laughs> City of 90,000 people, Paita. And us pastors, we have three hours a day that we're on the radio. The rest of the time is dedicated to music and so forth. But we have three hours on the radio in the city of eighty thousand people, that's what God just, just. I mean, that was just a fleeting heart. You know, my my wife will tell you I don't. I chase everything that sticks its head up. I mean, if every thought that comes to my mind, I start researching what can I do, how can I do that, and this and that, and and you know, we just we'll, we'll just count that as one of those thoughts. When here's God, you know, you need to light yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Just think about that, and then the last part i'll tell you about the other half but it won't be as long as the first half i promise after getting the vehicle i didn't know any pastor we were friends with four pastors only for one church didn't know any other pastor personally by name basis i've knew a couple but didn't have any relationship with any at all because of the truck we were invited by this other church that we knew to go on a missions trip with them. Me and my family we piled into the truck and we drove. Never, I've never driven far from where I've I've always been. The kind I don't do a lot of traveling while I'm there. Have, in case I'm invited to go do something, I just don't go to do it. Okay. I, you guys take care of us each month on the, you know, so faithfully, I don't want to just frivolously just throw money out to the wind and just do something because I want to but we'll go and if, if we're invited to go and minister, so first time i really been up into the Andes driving or anything, and it was a trip that was about a thousand mile round trip, we made a circle, and we went up in this and we spent about 30 something hours driving with about 20 of it on gravel roads looking down 4,000 feet right outside your car, driving in the mountains and the whole time, Pastor Henry Escobedo, him and I just began to talk about the need of missions within the church there in pura And God began to birth in me about installing or developing the heart of missions within the church in pura Well, there's one little bitty problem. I don't know any. But God put in my heart six things that we need to do. We need to have a church unified pertaining to missions. In other words, yeah, God might have called you over there. He's not called me, so I want to do everything I can to send you over there. I'm called over here, but you're not. You need to do everything you can to help me go over there, and together we go both places. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're Baptist or, or Assembly of God. It doesn't matter if you're non-denominational. It doesn't matter if you're Nazarene. It, what matters is the fact that we're part of the family of God and that we need to do what we can to sin. Together, God's not called me to be everywhere. It's God called me to go to Peru. But together, we're in Peru. Together, we're there. That's the number one thing. Second thing, we need to have the local missionary. Major denominations say you have to have about 4000 to $4,500 a month. We do all of our ministry on about half that. And so, but still, that's a lot of money. The amount of finances that we receive, 10 local missionaries could be out on the field. Now, you do the math on that one. What's better, one or 10? So we need to have the local missionary there. And then we have to train them up in the Word of God. That's being done when we sit in church anyways, all right? But we need to take them, men, women who are called of God, train them up in the Word of God. Then we have to prepare them for what it is that God's called them to do. And then we send them out. And then at the end, we have the network of support, not the financial, but the relationship aspect behind them as they're gone. Much like pastor will call me from time to time, you know, about once a month, once every six weeks or so, and we'll visit and we'll talk. That's what I'm talking about, the missionary knowing that he's not out there on his own laboring, but he knows that he's got churches such as Heartseeds back at home praying for him, and not just a number on, or a picture on the wall or, or a number in, in, the, in a financial statement, but as somebody that there's a relationship that has been developed and there's a genuine concern about what God is doing. But I didn't know anybody. Two weeks of getting home from that mission trip, two different pastors' associations came to me and invited me to be a part of them. Since then, we have developed, we've had our very first missions conference. And through that, listen to this, pastors from different denominations have invited me and my wife into their churches to preach about missions. To preach about missions. I told you Fernando was up in, in Piscan living there as our missionary there. He's the first missionary sent out by multiple churches there in Peorah. Oh, there have been missionaries sent out. The Baptists will take care of their missionary. The Assembly of God, their missionary. And, and, you know, the Nazarenes, their missionary. But never before was there a missionary sent out that was supported by multiple churches from multiple denominations until this past June with Fernando. I know what God's called me to do there. First, I thought I went there for the prisons at first. I went there for the prisons. God called me to, to start the church, started the church. But little did I know that those were just stepping stones. God ordained every single one of those things. But those are just stepping stones because the ultimate purpose that God has for me is to go into that church in Pura and to develop the heart of missions. Why? Because I believe all my heart that God is getting ready to pour out His Spirit on northern Peru like it's never seen before. This area is the worst area in all of Peru as far as evangelism. It it has the least amount of churches in any other state in Peru. There's 24 states in Peru, and Peor is the least evangelized. The least evangelized, witchcraft, idolatry are so strong and so permeated in everything. But I believe God in His great mercy is going to send out His Spirit. And if you look across the history of revival, missions was always birthed out of. God sent us there to prepare them for when God does, they'll know what to do with the missions when it happens. I know that without a shadow of a doubt that 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 is what God is. That's why the devil tried to get us off the mission field in the first place. Not because of what we're doing right now, but because of what God's going to do in the future. What God's getting ready to do. And dear lady, their sister here was talking about, you don't know when the next breath, and the next breath is going to be your miracle sitting right there persevere, continue, hold on. Well, that's what it's all about, knowing that everything around us is temporal. It's going to fall off and fade away. But if we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, then all of these things will just fade away and we'll know that He is with us until the ends of the age. That's what it's all about for us there in Peru. We're there to serve our God. The result of that is we get to see the soul saved. We get to see, we get to do things that we've never imagined in our life. That we get to do the different things. Those are the results of giving our lives to Him. It is unlimited. You know, I'm going to close with this. a so brother in the back, get the video ready. The greatest thing a man can do is to allow God to deal with his heart. It's not something that we do with our hands. In fact, I'll put it this way. There's only one thing that's in competition with our time with God. And that's what we do for God. We get so busy because why? That's man's nature of doing. We can do, we can do, we can do, we can do. The whole time God says, be still. Know that I'm God. Let me tell you something. The greatest thing that you'll ever do in this life is allow God to deal with your heart. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's unlimited what God can do in you. And it's unlimited what God will do through you. But it all begins with you allowing him to examine those areas that you don't want nobody to look at. It's all about you letting him see in what's in there. That if anybody knew about that, you would just be on your own because nobody would want to be around you. But you know what? My Bible tells me in Jeremiah 17, he's already examining our hearts. And that he's already going to give us the recompense or the reward of the works that we have there let god examine your heart we do have the need pastor talked about it earlier we have the need to build three we have this church right here this is the proposed building we want to build right here in peora might as well be asking for a million dollars because it doesn't matter it's just a lot of money hundred and twenty thousand dollars is how much it's going to cost to build this building buying the land and building third world country Man, I heard of people building churches for 5000 Yeah, in peace God, I can do that. Pure is the, the most expensive place in Peru. The place where we're living, or not living, but have church at. I asked him how much he wanted to sell it. $352,000. American dollars. That's unreal. That's not right. Went around the corner of another house, $333,000. We can build this building. We can buy a lot, build this building for $120,000. Seat almost 100, about 170 people. We have room for growth. We have classrooms up at the top. Pastor can have his office and he can stay there instead of going back, you know, and, uh, and ministering out of his house kind of thing. He can go to the church and be available for the people as, they're, as needed. Peace, God, we have the need to build a church. You're going to see on the video. I already told you about paeta, space for 45. We have 80 in church. But you know what? The finances are not the problem. I told a pastor, I said, Yeah, my God owns the cattle on a thousand hill. And he goes, Yeah, I just wish he'd sell one from time to time for me. But you know what? That's not the result of Gene or Kim Gale or Wisdom's Call Ministries. That's God's. God's going to build that building. God can speak to 120,000 people to give one dollar, or He can speak to one person to give 120,000 dollars. Or he can speak to any number in between to give whatever amount. But you know what? When we walk away, there's going to be a church there that's called House of God. And whenever we're gone, if God chooses to tarry, for sending his son Jesus Christ and two generations come along behind us, that church is going to still be there as a bright spot in that dark community preaching and sharing the wonderful saving news of Jesus Christ. You are awesome. you are God.